Hey, y'all. You're listening to How I Got Here with Drina Whitfield, the podcast that dives deep into the unique journeys of some of the dopest entrepreneurs, business leaders, and personalities I know. I'm your host, Drina Whitfield. I created this podcast to have real, honest conversations about the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. Grab your notebook, sit back, relax, and catch these gems. Welcome back. Today, I'm chatting with innovator, creator, culture leader, founder of Because of Them We Can, Culture Tags, and Culture Brands, my girl, Unique Jones-Gibson. Unique, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Drina. So I'm really excited to have you on. You know, I wanted you on last season. You're going to blame it on me, the reason why it didn't happen, but we're here. Mm-hmm. And I remember, and you may not remember this, but I remember meeting you a couple years ago in LA at some sort of event and you was just chilling in the corner, in the cut by yourself observing. And now that I know you, I know this is the type of person you are. You're super successful. You're super intelligent, innovative, creative. And I just, I'm really excited to like help tell folks a little bit more about you and your journey to get where you are today. But I definitely want to um, take it all the way back. And this is a question that I ask everybody who joins. And it's when you were graduating high school, what did you write in your high school yearbook where it said unique will be X, Y, Z in 10 years? What did that say? Oh, man, I have no idea what that said, Drina. Like, <laughs> um, <laughs> high school is such a blur. High school was fun for me, though. I was senior class president. I was also class comedian, one of, I think, like four or five. It probably said something about, like, going to Hollywood, being an actor or an ac- an actress, rather, Really? Or working in the industry some sort of way. It's, it probably said something like that. I actually have to go and grab my yearbook to remember. But yeah, it probably said something along those lines. An actor or an actor? I can't I can't see that. Now that I, I know you, I can't see that. You can't? An actress, my bad. Yeah. An actress? No, yeah. no. Because you, you don't be with the shits at all. Like you definitely don't. Um, so I can't see. I definitely see the Hollywood piece and you are a little bit into that world. Um, so I can see that, but not in front of the camera that much. No, nah, I act. Okay. I <laughs> act. Um, no, but I'm not with the, uh, the shits. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very serious about my life. I'm very serious about how people move, how I move. I'm very serious about purpose, but a lot of that is because of my upbringing, but beyond my upbringing, it's because I had a very life altering experience as a preteen where I was hit by a car. So, mm. and my friend died. And so I am just <sighs> very, very intentional about how I move. And I have been since I was that age. And obviously as I've grown and learned more about purpose and intentionality and how the power of life and death is in the tongue and how we just have so much uh, possibilities and potential, but it's up for, to us to realize that's just been who who I am as a byproduct of those experiences. Mm. And I imagine like coupled with those experiences, your upbringing from your, your parents also really played a role in like the unique that we know and love today. I love your dad, uncle Butch. (laughs) He's my uncle. Um, I know you were born and raised in the DMV, but just tell me a little bit about how they helped shape your way of thinking as it relates to the work that you do currently, but also just the way you mother, the way you just move throughout the world. 
Yeah, my parents were really cool. Shout out to Butch and Kathy. My dad is the son of a preacher. My mother's mother was an entrepreneur as well. I grew up in church with watching my family kind of just move and run things, right? Like, you know, a church is a business. So I, I, I had a very good foundation spiritually. I had a very good foundation as far as like love was concerned. My dad and my mom really poured into my sisters and I, just the importance of loving ourselves, embracing ourselves. My dad was very intentional. He used to say things like, you know, I used to say like, why do you tell me you love me every day? And he would say, because I don't want you to get excited when you hear another joker tell you. He didn't say mm-hmm. joker. You know, like, <laughs> you know, when another joker tells you when you get older, I don't want it to be the first time you heard it. And I don't want you to be excited by that or moved by that. And so just self-love, self-worth and appreciation was big. The ability to dream big and also hard work. My dad was the type where I used to play basketball and he would come to the game and I'd be like, dad, I got like 13 points. He's like, yeah, well, I'm sorry. You could have had 16. I'm like, really? You know, like he's just, <laughs> he's like, that's good. But, or, you know, oh, okay. You got, you, you got three, three A's and two B's, but you could bring those B's up. Like he was just always very intentional about, you know, do your best, right? And if you did your best, then that was good. But he also knew that I was a procrastinator and I would just BS certain things. So that has obviously informed uh, and shaped who I am and my mom's ability to just like teach me and my sister how to dream or like imagine our imaginations. We used to be in the house and we would be bored my mom would be like, ride a bike. I'd be like, ride a bike? Like it's nighttime. She'd be like, no, lay on your back and put your feet up against your sister's feet. Now ride, now push. Like she, you know, she would like (laughs) just orchestrate these little experiences and they seem minor when you're a kid. But as an adult now, like my imagination is how I get in my bag, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's the ability to dream. It's the ability to reimagine um, circumstances, reimagine people through the lens that I was brought up in. And I know that it's all because of my parents and my village. Mm, I love that. Let's talk a little bit about how you, how you got in your bag. Did you always, did you always know you were going to be an entrepreneur? I don't think I knew. I think people around me knew. Like when I was young, I was, I was, it started as a, a young kid. I remember I used to like sneakers. I used to be a sneaker head and my dad would buy me sneakers like every other week, like every payday I was getting something. And then one day I asked for a pair of sneakers, might've been some J's. And my dad was like, yeah, I'll get them, but you have to give me half. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so <laughs> I started like thinking like, how can I get half the money? And so I started selling like candy at school. I would sell like my video games. I would fix broken systems and like resell them. And so that I would go to the mall and work at the kiosk while my sister was walking around with her friends. I would be helping someone else sell their product and then leaving, you know, with 15 or $20 in my pocket. And that just like continued to bubble. And then I had examples. Like I said, my grandfather was a pastor. We had our own church. We had our own private school. And then on my mother's side, um, my grandmother owned her own bar, owned apartments, um, apartment buildings. And so it's always been around me and always influenced me. And I think as I got older and I got 
into corporate America, I actually liked corporate America because I figured out how to move and navigate, but I left because I got tired of being told no, or I got tired of my ideas being like pushed to the side. And so once I figured out a way to get my own ideas out of my head and to bring them to fruition, but to also monetize them, there was no longer a need for me to ask someone else for permission. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that are kind of in that situation where they may be at a job and they're like you, like you were getting the nose. Like what advice would you give to them when they have like this entrepreneur spark within them? They're scared to take that leap, but they're at a corporate job that's nice and cushy, but it doesn't, it doesn't make them happy. It doesn't make them feel fulfilled. Yeah, I think you have to build a plan. For me, I kind of jumped because I was in the middle of something that blew up before I, without me intending for that to happen with because then we can. But in retrospect, or even when I have these conversations with people, you know, benefits are great, right? Cushions are amazing. Savings are good. And so I would say you have to plot it out and try to build a plan, a plan that works for you, your family, your lifestyle, whatever, whatever you can cut out in the meantime, cut it out so that your spending is reduced and your savings can be increased. But also you should still be on the weekends and the evenings activating on whatever it is that hustle is, whatever it is that entrepreneurial drive yep. is, you should be activating on it. And then you should be realistic. Like, okay, how much money am I bringing in from this endeavor? Like, can I save it? Can I stack it? Can I live off of it? So that you are providing yourself the infrastructure to succeed, but also the infrastructure to allow yourself to fail should you launch out um, and need to rebound. Mm. Yep. Because I definitely did not have a plan when I started and I wish I did. <laughs> yeah, me either. I mean, I was struggling. Yeah, you know, struggle was, city. I was working at J. Crew folding sweaters, doing the <laughs> merchandise and windows right. while I was building the business. Right, right. Let's fast forward to February 2012 with the tragic death of Trayvon Martin. And you created the I Am Trayvon Martin Photo Awareness Campaign. Can we talk about why that was important to you and like what awareness you got from that campaign? Yeah. Well, something about I've always been like socially conscious just because of my upbringing and I've always been creative, but I didn't really have an outlet. I loved marketing. And when I learned about Trayvon Martin's murder, I was just so upset. I was like pissed, yep. mm -hmm. you know, like everybody. I was just like, what the hell? But then I also was looking at my son like, dag, like that could have been my son, mm -hmm. like that could have been my husband. That could have been me. Like we're talking about a hoodie and a bag of Skittles. We're talking about, you know, walking in a neighborhood that is your own and someone identifying you and, and saying you don't belong there or judging you because of your appearance and uh, ultimately murdering you for those reasons. And so I wanted to make it easier for people to see themselves in Trayvon's shoes versus being able to just say, oh, that was him because he was X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, that could be you too. And that could be your son too and your daughter. And so mm -hmm. the idea just kind of like sparked from there, how to make this real for everyone, whether you knew him or not, this, this affects all of us. And so that's where the idea came from. And I was, you know, anxious to get it done. I was also like four months, four or five months pregnant when I shot that campaign mm. and it just went viral, but it just came from a genuine space of wanting to raise awareness 
and wanting other individuals to get off the sidelines in the same way that I had gotten off the sidelines because it was a problem that affects us all. Yep. And how did you get it to go viral? You know, it's so interesting. I always tell people like you can't manufacture Mm -hmm. like a viral campaign. You can't manufacture a movement. You you just can't. Like now, certainly there are moments when you create things and when you're in the lab, you're like, yo, this might go. Right. But I think the way it it went viral is because when things go viral, it's because it speaks to a broad range of people. And that's because it was timely. It was relevant. It was different. And it was also something that other people could replicate. So how do you give people an opportunity to participate in something, whether they are in your vicinity or not, because it's relatable and it's replicatable. And I think that's what it had. It was like relatable. People were like, yes, like this could be me. And then other photographers and people started to do the same types of campaigns and things where they were like, yes, you know, I too am Trayvon Martin. So with the success of that, that campaign, is that what sparked the idea for Because of Them We Can when you launched it in 2013? I don't know if, you know, it's a couple of things. I don't know if I would call that campaign a success, right? Like, I don't think it's something that I measure when I think about like success. I think it was just like effective, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that what it did for me was it put me back on the track that I used to be on as a young person where it was like, you know, I was always like doing poems and spitting poetry and putting my fist in the air and talking about Black history and excellence. Like that was my upbringing. And what it did was it put the socially conscious lens and filter back in me. It reignited the spark. And so a year later, when we were approaching Black History Month, what also had happened around that time was it was the anniversary of Trayvon's murder but also George Zimmerman was acquitted. And I was, again, in a space where I was just pissed. Like, yo, you know, this is upsetting. And I was really internalizing personally the stereotypes that continued to echo from the speakers in my car, in my radio, from the television screen, in my home, to the magazines that I was reading. You know, it was like, his character was being assassinated. He was undergoing like this, just this assassin. Like, how do you assassinate a victim? Right. Mm -hmm. But then I was like, but this is across the board. This is like what we deal with as black people. And it is wrong. And there needs to be a counter narrative to this. That's not necessarily speaking directly to that, but that's providing a different picture for people to see, not the people who are creating the narratives, but the people who are consuming it and are impacted by it. And those are the people that I wanted to speak to, particularly young kids like my own children, my Chase and my Amari, my young boys who would be grown men at some point in life. I wanted to protect them. I wanted to really shelter them and put them in this little bubble where no one could hurt or impact them. And so the best way for me to do that or that I thought about was like, they need to know their history. They need to know the greatness that they are inextricably tied to. And the best way for me to bring that to life was through this photo campaign. And because I have a marketing background, I was just like, yo, it'd be so dope to refresh Black history by painting or positioning these young people as these trailblazers, which will again, um, you know, humanize them, but also get people who are on the sidelines off. (sighs) Initially, you started with your sons in the campaign. How did you go about getting other children involved? How did you like just keep it fresh with like, how did you even just come up with like the if you think about an editorial cal- calendar, right? Like, how did you just come up 
with the yeah. different the different themes? And what was so, your process like? Why? Because at this time, you still had a full time job, right? Or did you already? Yeah. I did have a full-time job, but also my background is, again, when I say my background is like marketing and advertising, that's real. I came out of Bowie State and I went straight to Microsoft working in online advertising. Prior to working for Microsoft and online advertising, I worked at Sony BMG in New York as a, as a marketing intern during the summer. Like I had some, I had internships in marketing, you know, my upbringing, living in the DMV. My cousin was marketing director at Radio One. So I was always with the local radio stations at the concert doing guerrilla marketing. And so it's always been a part of who I am. And so it wasn't difficult for me to put the components together because it's just been what I've done. But when it came to launching a campaign, I also knew that I had to because I had a full-time job, I had a very limited window to shoot it. So initially it was only supposed to launch and run for Black History Month. So I think like January 30th or January like 29th, I got the idea. I put a a casting call out on social media and say, hey, if you have a child between the ages of two and 10 um, with a great personality, submit your pictures. I got tons of submissions and I just burnt the midnight oil and looked at those kids and was like, okay, this kid could be a Spike Lee. Okay, this kid could be this person. And then I just went to the thrift store and, you know, bought a bunch of stuff and looked to see what I had and asked the families like, you know, do you have a blue shirt? Do you have a tie? Do you have a blazer for your kid? Do you have, you know, some old glasses? And it was collaborative. The parents did not know what I was doing, but I had gained the trust of the community. I think because of what I had been doing prior to that moment, right? Mm -hmm. And so all those kids ended up coming between like January 30th and January 31st. The first picture I took was was of my son, Chase, as Muhammad Ali. And then, you know, the kids just came. And I think I might've had maybe like one more shoot during the month of February to get the rest of them finished. But I had like all 28 pictures done um, within like the first 10 days of February. So I had enough to carry me through the duration of the month. Where it got challenging was when it became very apparent that I couldn't just stop at Black History Mm -hmm. Month. That's when I was like, oh, shoot, let me think this through. But wait, but wait, let me ask you this, though. With Mm -hmm. this initial campaign, you had a full-time job. How How old were the boys? Chase was, I believe, four and Amari was, I think, like five months a baby. Have, a baby. Because I have pictures of Amari oh sitting on my lap when I'm like editing the photos in our um, office at the time. And how big was the team? It was a team of three. It was myself, my husband, because he's always on, on the team. And then it was my yeah. um, girl, Ashley Bing, who at the time was like assisting me, like my assistant photographer, if you will. So she was like running back and forth with me to the different places to get props. Or she was like, you know, setting up the lights for me or um, staying up with me late at night when I was burning the oil. But that was it. That was the team. Unique, that's crazy. You know that, right? I mean, I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> Yo, Chase was four. You said Chase was four, right? Yeah. Amari was five months. Five months. So he's still on a bottle. You right. have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And then you have how many submissions did you have? Well, you mean that people that emailed? Yeah, that's like, just, their, oh, yeah. It was like, it got crazy. It was like hundreds. And then, okay. you know, as I kept, as it kept going, it went from hundreds to thousands. But the thing is, what I admire about you, Unique, is like your your hustle. Like you are when you are in go mode, 
you are in go mode. And I'm always amazed at like, how are you, like, how are you managing all this? I couldn't even imagine putting together a photo campaign like this with, with a with two little babies because Chase mm-hmm. is still a baby. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And working a full-time job. He was crazy. Well, you know what they say? I think I just get, <laughs> these, I get these manic modes. Like that's really what it is. Like when I see something, it's I become manic to be quite honest. Like I have to get it out of my head. I have to do it. And because of how I was raised, has to be done at a certain level of excellence, right? And so mm. like I always tell people like no matter what someone else's standard is for me is irrelevant. I will always exceed everyone else's bar because my bar is far too high for myself because I know what I'm yeah. capable of. And so yeah, but but then there's also the downside of that. Like, let's just be real. Like, you know, I don't eat, you know, when I get in those modes. My husband has to bring me food. Sometimes I don't shower. Like, it's real. Like, there's that thin line. What do they say? It's a thin line between, like, a genius and insanity. That is mm-hmm. real. Like, I really believe it. Like, I, I pray for my sanity. I pray for my ideas. I pray for my mental health. Because I get so many ideas, it becomes overwhelming. And I really do. It's like if you have an itch that is bothering you and you are not satisfied or able to relax until that itch has been scratched, that is what it feels like to have something birthed inside of you that you just have to get out. Like, it's like, yo, I got to get this out of me. Yeah, I'm going to pray for you too. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I do anyway, because I'm like unique. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. So you do the campaign (laughs) and you get all these submissions and then you you realize like, yo, we can't stop that February. Mm -hmm. What do you do next? You keep it going. So I ended up, it ended up turning into this whole thing where it was like, all right, y'all, Mind you, in February, people were also like, these pictures are amazing. Can I can I buy them? So I like had to figure out like poster production. And then they were like, you know, these posters are amazing. Can I get a calendar? And it was like, all right, here goes a calendar. And the calendars were like <laughs> selling like crazy. I didn't even know who was going to print the calendars. I didn't even know how I was going to get. I had never had a poster printed before. But it was like, you just you know, when you, when you hit something, when you strike something, you have to acquiesce. Like you have to like figure it out. You can't like shrink. That's the time where you have to like rise to the occasion and everything that you go through or have been through every experience, every moment leads to that one. And that's when it's time to, it's showtime. And that's what it was. And then, you know, when people were like, yo, you can't stop. And Tom Joyner was like, you have to keep this going. I was just like, okay, cool. So I'll quit my job, (laughs) you know, so I can like, all right, fine. You know, but I had some sales coming in. Right. And then also my job was just super dope where they were like, yo, you're great. Can you consult? And I was like, yeah, if I can do it remotely. And that was before this this remote world that we live in right now. Right. So they were like, yeah, you don't have to even come in. Just like consult while we like look for your replacement. And I was like, great. Right. And so it afforded me some time to like get my money together, you know, get a plan together. I ended up like, I was like, yo, we're going to go to Atlanta. All right, cool. We're going to go to Chicago. All right, bet. We're going to we're going to go to Virginia. We're going to go all over and we're going to photograph these kids so that it's not just uh, limited to the kids in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And that's what I did for a year. And while I was doing that, like I told you, team of two or three, including my husband, you know, Ashley was helping me like get statuses together or, you know, put in post up like it was just it was, we, we made it work. It was just like, so like energizing and exciting to drop a, I committed for a whole year, every single day 
for the whole year in 2013, every day I dropped a new picture every single day, every morning, every morning, there was a new picture in the same way that I had done it during Black History Month. So that took discipline. It took commitment. It took vision. It took, you know, sacrifice. It took a lot of different things, but, you know, I did it, you know, expected to only do it for a year. And, you know, we're talking and eight years later, you know, still on this, on this, um, on this path. So when did you decide to take this a step further and create this subscription box for kids? My son, you know, Gabe loves it. You already yeah. like I told you this. And I'm sure a lot of kids love it because kids like receiving things in the mail. Mm-hmm. Uh, parents love it because it's educational and the kids get to feel like they're part of history. Mm-hmm. And- yeah, well. So when I was traveling, you know, it, the, the campaign evolved in a number of different ways. It went from photos to working with brands and doing like videos and, you know, just I was just always evolving it, doing a book and different things. To but the, then website. One of the, to the mm-hmm. website. I mean, so many different things, right? Like, all right, let's let's make it all about black excellence every single day. And let's remove this weight of like going and photographing little kids as these trailblazers every single day. Like, let's evolve it, right? You have to constantly be evolving your journey. You have to constantly be leveling up and figuring out what's next. And I was going around and doing what I was calling reimagination labs at schools where it gave kids the opportunity to dress up as these individuals. But I was using my book, the Because When We Can book that also got produced at the end of 2013. I was using the book as like the guide where it was like dress up, okay? And the kids would be like grabbing props and different things from tables. And they didn't know what they were dressing up as. They didn't know why they were doing it. So if let's say the kid grabbed like an astronaut suit and they put it on or they grabbed like a, a judge's robe and the gavel and the glasses and they put it on. And then like once everyone was dressed, I would they would have the because of the weekend books in front of them. And I would say, OK, open the book and find yourself. And they would open the book and they would like, they would find the kids that looked like them based on what they were wearing. So then the kids would be like, oh my gosh, I'm Thurgood Marshall. Oh, (laughs) wow. I'm Mae Jemison. Oh man, I'm Spike Lee, you know, and and they didn't know who these people were. They had no idea because they had only learned about, you know, the, the starting five. And so it was just like, it was, I was emotional each and every time. And people used to laugh at me. Like when I was like, yo, I want to change the world. Like I really do. Like I believe I can change the world. I want to change how kids see themselves. But also that wasn't scalable. I couldn't go to every school throughout the country. I couldn't, you know, go to every school district and I couldn't replicate myself. I couldn't figure out how to do it, how to like hit critical mass when it came to giving every child who wanted that experience, the ability to have it. And then one day it just hit me and I was like, yo, a subscription box. Like mm-hmm. we can do the same thing. We can put these props in a box. We can put these outfits and these cl- this clothing in a box. We can do curriculum so that these kids learn who these individuals are. And we don't have to relegate Black history to 28 days. And we don't have to put the onus 100% on the schools. We can bring that in the homes and we can be intentional about how we mm-hmm. teach our kids and what we share with them. And if the schools want to get busy, so be it. But like, we can make this a collaborative village community effort to ensure that Black, Brown, and kids of all races know the accomplishments and know the history of Black people beyond the narrative of slavery. Yeah, I love it. And the quality is like a different level. Like it's really thought, the boxes are thoughtful. 
They're cute. Like the kids love it. What I mean, Gabe was excited. I forgot what box we just got, but it had an umbrella in it. And boy, he was just so damn happy. Oh, he had a March umbrella. His yeah, own umbrella with the Because of the Weekend <laughs> kids logo on it and, and t-shirts, everything. He just eats it up every single time. And, and the kids get so excited when they see their yellow box come in the mail because they know it's for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, wait, what box you're talking about is the March on Washington box. And that's the, that's exactly it, right? So it's like, how do you make the March on Washington tangible and understandable for kids ages five through 12? So it's like in that box, they got like a vintage, like style, you know, crew neck sweatshirt yep. with a pocket, right? It was like vintagey though. They also got an umbrella a design that says the ancestors got me covered, right? Um, and the flag, well, the flag. Right. They got a pennant to put in their room. Like, and then they also always get stickers. They always Mm -hmm. get a lapel pin and they always get a curriculum. And so they look great. But like the best thing I love is like they're learning. They're learning about these individuals. And this is normalized, right? It's normalized. It's not like, okay, it's February. It's time. It's your time. It's your time. Mm -hmm. It's like, no, this is every single month with these babies. Yep. And we just honestly, we all know the schools ain't teaching it like this. No, I mean, it's not. Again, I always, I'm like, it's always the starting five, right? Like, it's mm-hmm. like, you know, depending on what region or what area you live in, you know, there's always the certain cast of African American or Black trailblazers that we hear about. And then it's always positioned in a way that's comfortable for whoever's teaching it, right? It's like you hear about Martin Luther King, but you don't hear about like all of Martin Luther King's speeches, like which is mm-hmm. why Bernice King is always like, yeah, you read that in my daddy's, but you did you read this? And so it's like, <laughs> we got to shake that up and make sure that kids know the full history. And, you know, as a Black mother, it's I, I feel responsible yep. for making sure that my kids have this information. And I feel blessed to be able to bring something into the world to make it possible for other parents and other educators and aunties and uncles to provide it to the kids that they love to ensure that they have this information as well. Love it. And I love you for just coming up with this concept. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So you had the photo campaign it transitioned into the box and a whole bunch of other umbrella projects. But the one thing that I think a lot of people may know now is the Because of Them We Can website. Mm-hmm. And the thing that makes it so unique is that you share amazing, positive stories of everyday people doing dope mm-hmm. things in their communities across the country. Yeah, I mean. When did but- you like say, like, yo, let's take it a step further and go here? So we're not just sharing like the philanthropic efforts of like celebrities and, you know, well-known influencers, like how did you come up with that concept? And, and like, how do you choose the stories? Cause I know you get yeah. your, inbox, your inbox gets flooded. Yeah. It's not my inbox anymore, but yes, yeah. it does. <laughs> yeah. I think it just all happened organically to be quite honest in the beginning, you know, painting these little, using these little kids to bring these individuals to life was the beginning of using everyday people to show that like, you know, black excellence is an everyday thing, right? Like it's, it's, it's every day. Like we experience it every day, but history is made every single day. It's Mm -hmm. not, you know, it shouldn't be put in a box where you have to be old or, you know, something has to be like dated or someone has to be dead or deceased in order for us to recognize their accomplishments. And so that started when the campaign began. But what ended up happening is, you know, we would share these photos, but then it's like, yo, there are so many people around the world who are walking in the 
paths that have been paved by these individuals we're talking about. And those are the people we should be sharing because they're the current modern day trailblazers. And I love celebrities. I love influencers, but I love everyone, right? It's like, and the reason why they are celebrities or influencers is because someone noticed their talent, noticed their contributions and elevated them to a place where other people could tap in and also acknowledge them for the work that they were doing. And that's what we're doing on the community side, right? It's like, you don't have to be a celebrity to be celebrated. It's like, you can be doing something amazing, but like, where's the platform that's going to uplift and talk about what you're doing? Where's the platform that's going to like share these great works that you're doing in your community that other people can actually replicate and do in theirs as well. And so I think that's where it came from. We definitely still post, you know, celebrity news or influencers, but I'm looking for those like hidden stories or the individuals who, you know, just got to deal with, you know, I just saw there's a black lady who just got to deal with like home goods, like all of her pillows are in home goods across the Mm -hmm. country. That's amazing. Like we should be talking about her, right? Like we should be, you know, also talking about the lady who's making lunches for, kids who may need food going to school. Like she's equally amazing and awesome and we should be uplifting her story as well. And so, yeah, it just, it just happened naturally. Love it. And just so for people listening, like who do they contact? Because, you know, they shouldn't be contacting you. Some people (laughs) randomly text me. What's the, what's the right contact (laughs) to pitch your story to because of the weekend? Yeah, it's just submit at because of them.com. Like that's where people, you know, submit their stories. It's submit at because of them. You can also go to the Instagram page and hit email and you'll get the email address right there. You know, there are times where people will DM the team and say like, hey, I have a, you know, I have a great story and the team will definitely call through those messages and reach back out. But I mean, obviously any platform that we're on, you know, that's where you're you know, you, you have access to the team that's filled in those stories and curating them and, and writing them. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Before we step into like some of the recent news around you and, you know, some of the, the businesses that you have out here popping in these streets, <laughs> like when you started because of the McCann, did you ever think that it would be at the level where it is today? I did it. I just thought that it was necessary and I thought that it could be big. I didn't know what that meant, though. I didn't have, um, you know, I didn't have like a base or a foundation to say, and this is how big it could be. Mm-hmm. I just knew it was necessary. And I just knew that I wanted to create something that gave everybody the opportunity to learn in a fun and exciting way, but also to celebrate the very best of who we are, right? Like you have multiple platforms out there and they all serve their unique purpose. And I just wanted to add this into the mix. See, I feel like you t- you have this, and I've only known you for a few years, but I feel like this is the same approach you take with everything, every new project that you, you quote unquote, birth, right? Even with culture tags. I mean, it's just blown up. Yeah. Like, I try not to get these, like, I always say, like, even with culture tags, I think I, I, I was hitting you up when I had the idea, and I, and I think I might have sent you a text. We can probably find it where I was like, I think this is going to be big. Like, that's that's all I ever say. Like, this is going to be big. But, like, I don't know what big is. Like, I just Yo, know that she the power. Know. She I just know. That the, know. <laughs> she did not I, know. Okay. One thing I know is that, and I believe, and I live by this, is that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Right. We have the ability Mm. to call things into our life and to our existence by what we say and by what we believe. And so I 
I speak life into my dreams. I speak life into my ideas. I speak life into my children. I speak life into my friends. I speak life into everything that I touch and that matters to me because I know that if I speak it and I believe it, it has the power to come to fruition and I don't put a box around it. And so the only thing that I can say is this is going to be big. Now that's (laughs) up to God and the universe to determine what big is. But in my mind, I don't want to limit it by saying this is going to be small or this is going to be okay, or this is going to be all right. Nah, whatever I do that I believe in that I put into the universe, if I believe it like I did when I touched culture tags and I had the idea, it's just up to me to say it's going to be big. It's going to be amazing. It's going to hit. It's going to be successful. But how that is defined and what that actually means is unbeknownst to me until we start moving and acting in it. Nah, y'all. She had this thing mapped out. <laughs> and, and the thing I love about Unique is like, you're humble, but you're, like you said earlier, like you have these ideas and you go into like a manic mode around them. But it's like, this is like what happens with like a lot of creative geniuses. The way she conceptualized this game, y'all, I, I just want you to tell me how you got to where it is today, to the point where you're in Target, Kohl's, Barnes and Nobles, and you're gearing up for Kroger's in 2022. I'm in Walmart. I'm in books. Oh, wait, come on. I, I left I a few mean, give, me, give me all, give me all, give me give all. all. <laughs> give me all of it. I need that. I need that. Give me all of that. No, she all. out here killing it with this culture tags. <laughs> Working on a game show, but we can come talk. We can't, we can't actually, can't we can't talk about, talk that. about can't talk that. that. We can't, but it's happening. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I, I, I tell the story. I saw the long um, acronym online and knew what it was and was like, yo, this is a game. Like, I, like my prayer to God is like, Lord, you know, allow me to see what others can't, right? Like, allow me to see it. <laughs> and, you know, if I, that where it backs into my talent and my gifts, right? If there is something that I can bring to life, is there's something that backs into my purpose, like, Lord, allow me to see it. And I had been wanting to create a game. And it, it's not shocking to me that when I saw people online doing that, that I saw a game because I that was my prayer. Allow me to see it, whatever it may be. If I can do it, let me see it. And so I saw it and then I like brushed it off. You know, this Drina, because I was like, nah, I got this idea and I'm thinking about this. And I'm thinking about this. Yep. It's just an embarrassment of ideas that are all like legitimately good. But the reason I settled on culture tags is because I was like, I can execute this one faster. With yep, less startup, exactly. with less yep. capital, I right? That. I was like, this. Is, I was like, this is a paper product. I know how to produce paper products very quickly. I already have the resources. I already know the vent. I already know the manufacturers. I'm good there. But in December, I was over at Lovey's house, and Lovey was like, "Yo, we need more black game shows." And I was like, "Yo, I got a game show idea." She was like, "What?" And so I write on a piece of paper. I write this abbreviation or this acronym, and I slide it over to her, and I, and I give her a hint, and then she like bust out laughing and she answers it then like we go back and forth she and I back and forth for like hours at her house doing that and she was like yo you got to do this this was like December 15th and she was like no seriously unique like you got to take this serious because all the homies know that like I got a lot of ideas so she's like no seriously this the one (laughs) this the one and so I had my iPad and when I left Chicago I literally got on the plane opened up my iPad and I started a document to start jotting down all the culturally relevant sayings and, you know, pegging them to the culture tags. And I went and I negotiated and bought the domain name and I just started doing different things. But from, let's say, second or third week of December all the way until Christmas, no, New Year's Eve, this is what I was working on because I have a New Year's Eve party 
every year prior to COVID. And I was like, this would be the perfect time to debut it because all we do at the party is we eat, we drink, we play games and we play karaoke. And I was like, this is going to be one of the games we play. It just, you know, it just went, it, it, you know, it, I got in a manic mode and I was like apologizing to my husband. I was like, I, ah, I know I'm, I'm here. I go again. You know, like here, here I am once again in this manic <laughs> mode. And he was like, you always do this. And I was like, I know I do, don't I? Like, but my bad, cause I got to do it. And I was like, I think this is like going to be a hit. And he was just like, you know, super understanding, like, go ahead, do your thing. You know, New Year's Eve, I had the game printed. I had a prototype and here we are today. Here we are today. I mean, <laughs> no, Mm-mm. not just skipping over all that because she launched with Target. Y'all. <laughs> yeah, before, well, technically, before... I, technically, I didn't launch with Target. I had technically, I launched the Kickstarter, right? Okay. Okay. You're right. I'm I, sorry. I launched the Kickstarter. Let's back there. You know, that's like, it's just like black folks. It's just like when a baby sits their head up. People like, look at that baby. That baby is advanced. It's like when the baby's six months. <laughs> you know, I appreciate those friends, though. I appreciate it. So thank you. But no, I, I launched a Kickstarter end of January. And the Kickstarter was funded very quickly. How quickly? Mm-mm. How quickly? The well, same day. Like, same Come day. Come on. Y'all saw how she tried to gloss over it? Very quickly. Same day. Same day. A few hours. And, um, <laughs> and then, like... I started doing pre-orders, right? And the pre-orders were just like booming. And I had like ordered the games with the manufacturer. And I think I remember telling you like, yo, I don't think I ordered enough. Yep. I was like nervous. I was like, this is yep. crazy. This is like blowing up. And I, I, was, I was playing um, culture tags on the Because of We Can platform. Because so I was like, yo, you know, we need some joy, right? It was like pandemic mode had kicked in. I'm like, yo, where's the joy? Mm-hmm. And so we started playing there and it just kept bubbling. and. I remember hitting up one of my uh, friends or peers I had met and being like, yo, I want to be in Target. Like, I want to launch this in Target. And listen, a couple of calls were made. A couple of meetings happened. I remember putting together my deck for Target. My girl, Arsha, saw my first deck and she was like, stop playing because I was doing what I'm doing on this call. Like, mm-hmm. I was, you know, I was downplaying <laughs> things. She was like, no. <laughs> she was like, Oh, she was, her quote, she's like, I want you to find your inner white man. She was what? like, because <laughs> like, they don't have any problem talking about or bragging about what they do. And she was like, I need you to like brag on yourself and I need you to show this picture. And I did that. Yeah. Target was like, let's do it. Let's do the exclusive. Let's launch this year. Forget Same. waiting Same to next year. year. Yeah. So it was, it was, it was amazing. Same year. And she didn't even have the games yet. Remember that? Yeah. Like, I think when I was talking to Target, I hadn't even like shipped the games, but we were also doing like, I think like 50 orders a day. It was something crazy. Maybe a hundred orders between 50 and a hundred. In the middle of the pandemic. Like, how did you, how were you able to fulfill orders for folks that supported the Kickstarter, folks who were ordering online and the the, the POs that were coming in for real retailers during COVID though? Uh, village teamwork, you know, having the experience. Uh, I already had a warehouse because of the box and then was able to get a second warehouse for uh, culture tags to expand because <laughs> it was just massive. But, you know, everything that you go through, everything that you do, like it just compounds, right? It builds yep. onto the next experience. Like yep. no experience is like trash, even if it feels like that at the time. I have tons of stories like that, but it doesn't matter. Like it's all in how you use it and leverage it to get to where you want to be. And so for me, I had the experience 
doing different things that made it very clear how to like run and set up shop in the operation. And so, you know, if you've ever done a pre-order, which we had done plenty of times with Because and We Can, we did a pre-order on the backpacks. We did a pre-order on the books. We did pre-orders on, you know, shirts for Delta Sigma Theta and, you know, the AKAs, you know, thousands of orders. And so, once you go through that, it's like, okay, this is, all right, next time I'm going to do it differently. Okay, then next time we're going to use this system. And so it was literally using those learnings and applying it to the Kickstarter, even though we had never successfully done a Kickstarter. But again, that experience compounded and allowed us to be able to execute. A lot of people have a, a vision of getting into tar- a retailer like Target, right? Mm-hmm. Can you just share a little bit about what it takes to stay in Target? Or a larger retail like that. It's a lot of money involved, right? Yeah, it's a lot of money. Well, if your product, so. Like, how do we keep our products on the shelves at Target? You got to market. You got to be able to move it, right? You so can't rely on them, right? You can't rely. That's the thing. It's no, like, at the end of the day, your dream is your responsibility. At the end of the day, your dream is your responsibility. And so you don't get in Target and then, or get on shelves and then say, I'm good, I'm chilling. No, like that's when you turn it up like three, four or five different notches. And so for instance, on my side, we're constantly trying to figure out what does the marketing mix need to look like to drive sales? Not only to, you know, I drive sales to my site, but it's like, how are we driving sales in stores, right? And how are you learning purchasing behaviors and, you know, what what, what resonates with the consumer to get them out and in the stores. And then Target does things a lot of times where they'll say, hey, there's this promotion that you can participate in, but those promotions aren't free, right? So the promotions cost money. Um, Anytime you do a promotion, anytime you do a discount, anytime you have a Black Friday or a Cyber Monday or, you know, Target does the equivalent of like a Prime Day, a Target Day, like whatever those things are, those things cost money. And so you have to be able to budget marketing dollars that'll be used to help continue to accelerate your growth and acquire new customers. And that can happen through Target. But I would also say that you have to have marketing channels outside of Target to push your product. You know, and some of them happen organically, like you can have your social media presence and you can make sure that you have just like dope content that's pushing whatever it is that you're selling. But then also your email marketing is equally as important if you're pushing a product, developing and cultivating that relationship gives you an opportunity for upsells, but also to say like, hey, this weekend you can get the game for your family and friends from Target at, you know, 10% off or whatever that might look like. And then also social media marketing, you know, SEO you know, making sure that you have the right search engine optimizations, the right keywords and things on your site. But the best form of marketing is obviously, you know, word of mouth. And so delivering what you promise you're on, delivering what you say you're going to do, and then figuring out ways to keep enhancing that experience and get people to keep coming back is what's going to keep you on those shelves. Thank you for that advice. Because I think a lot of people have this dream and vision of getting on the shelves of retailers and they think when they get there, they can chill and relax and not realizing like that's when the work really turns up. Exactly. I mean, it's when it starts. It's like, I didn't take a sigh of relief when we got placed in a target. I was like, oh my gosh, like, (laughs) you know, like I want to stay there, right? Like you get invited in the house, you want to be able to sit down and chill and stay in there, but you got to earn your keep. And so you know, you that's when you you go to work. And, and it's something that you're constantly figuring out. Like nobody has like the answer, like this is what you need to do. Like you will test, you will learn, you will 
you know, waste money, you, you know, not waste money, you will lose money, but you will learn, right? Like you will, you will learn how to optimize quicker. You will learn who to tap faster next time. And as long as you're committed to that process, you know, you'll continue to evolve and grow your business. I want to pivot real quick because I know we only had a few more, few minutes left, but I want to talk about this big boss movie just made this last year. Your company, who, mm-hmm. which a lot of folks may not know about, is Culture Brands, just became the first black, first ever black agency to work with Hyundai. Let's talk about that. What's, <laughs> yeah, what's that uh, feel like, though? What is, <laughs> what is, how you feeling over there? Pressure. No. Um, <laughs> no. It feels great. But like, you know, with every opportunity, there's a responsibility, right? Yep. Like I'm not, the reason why I do what I do. So again, I keep saying I have a marketing advertising background. So when, you know, that's why, because when we can and the videos, like all that looked a certain way, because there's that experience there, but also we started to do things like that for other brands. And I was doing it in a way where like other people were the face of my work for other brands. I'll just put it like that. Right. And then I was just like, you know, what? I'm going to establish culture brands and I'm going to have the Because Then We Can platform under culture brands. We're going to create culturally relevant products under culture brands, but we're also going to be able to work with brands and organizations who want, who genuinely want to create culturally relevant campaigns, but also culturally responsible campaigns that depict African-Americans in a non-stereotypical light, right? Like in a light that is that we can be proud of because we over-index on the other narratives. And so I've done that work, working, you know, it's kind of like a unique agency model for a while, but I just don't talk about it publicly. And, you know, it's just like, I just don't. Like there's, you know, there's just, it's just, it's no, it's, I don't talk about it, right? But when I mm-hmm. got the business with Hyundai, you know, Hyundai was like, yeah, we're going to announce. And I was like, all right, here we go, right? Like everyone's going to know, uh, but it's been good. Like it's a great opportunity because Hyundai is very genuine. They reached out to us early last year to invite us to their RFP process. And they're just really Come genuine. Come on, you weren't even about, looking for it. Come on. Right, yeah, no, it was <laughs> great. But yeah, they just reached out to us and, a, and were very genuine about wanting to make sure that their advertising and their marketing initiatives were reflective of who they aspire to be as a company. You know, their, their, their whole company is based on progress for humanity, right? And that includes all of us. And so they realized that they needed to carve out dollars um, and resources to bring a team in that can speak specifically to the AA consumers. And the reason it made sense to me was is because like one, once I finally started really looking at Hondas, I was like, yo, the cars are really nice. But outside of that, I was like, this is an opportunity to work with a brand to really put African-Americans, depict them in a way that we can, again, feel proud of, that we feel is reflective of our experience. I don't, I mean, shout out to, you know, always, you know, d- being being diverse as, as far as, as, as we are as a people, but like every Black woman that I know is not light-skinned with curly hair, right? Like right. every Black man that I know is not like light-skinned and clean-shaven and, you know, like we are very nuanced and varied and those need to come across. Like we need to see different depictions, right? Like we need to okay. see things that paint us accurately, but also give us the range that we know that we have. And advertisers are so powerful because when you look at, you know, whether it's social media, when you look at um, uh, television shows, when you look at all of those things, what's powering it? 
the advertisers. The dollars that the advertisers are spending is what is powering it. And so that means that their messages and their images and their campaigns, wherever they're, they're, they're present, are literally rotating around the clock. And so if we're consuming that, there's a lot of influence that advertisers have and how we and how other people see themselves and see others. And that's why I'm in the space because everything that I do is about culture and community and about making sure that, you know, I'm doing my due diligence for the culture to make sure that, you know, black folks are depicted in a way that we know is representative of the part of the story that I choose to tell, which is the positive side of the story, right? Which are the mm-hmm. positive and uplifting depictions because we have, you know, we all have a role to play. And so that's why I was excited about the work with Hyundai. It's like, yes, let's do this. Like, you know, it's a big auto client. Like it's a, it's a big opportunity. And I think that it is a brand that our demographic and our audience would love, but let's make sure that the stories and the depictions are accurate and, and reflective of who we are. I can't wait to see what you come up with through your work with Hyundai. I know it's going to be dope and, and, you know, going to resonate with the culture. I mean, I've seen a few things, but I can't wait to see the entire thing roll out. It's going to be exciting. I'm, I'm really excited and proud of you. Thank you. At this point, Unique, you know, you have culture tags that's constantly evolving. I mean, now you have greeting cards, you have the doormats, you have the, of course, the champion, the game, you're working on a game show. You have, because of them, we can, the website, which is thriving. You have the, because of them, we can children's box. And now you have just, I'm sure you're going to get a flood of work through your agency culture brands, but like outside of all of that, your mom, your wife, you have three kids of which two of them are being homeschooled right now. Mm-hmm. How the hell and mm-hmm. how are you doing it all? How are you making it work? It well, may not work I mean, every day, right? I know. But how how not, are you how are you doing that? And I know you're not doing not, it alone. Yeah, and I'm not doing it all, right? Like it's like I have help, you know? <laughs> like, you know, I have I have help, but it's like, you know, we have to define what balance is for us. You know, I always say that my kids are my KPIs, like how my kids see me. And that's because when you grow up in the church, you see a lot. You see how, you know, you have pastors that pastor the congregation, but don't hug and embrace their families. Not saying that was our experience, but like I've seen that happen so much. And so I never wanted to be that person. And so, you know, how my family feels about me, how my husband feels, how my kids feel, you know, that's paramount. That is like, you know, super important to me. You know, I try to make sure that I keep that at the forefront. My kids know we run our own business. They know that I'm busy. Sometimes I can't do certain things because I'm working and they understand it and they're excited about it. My my son Amari, my middle child is like, you know, you're famous, right? And I'm like, no, I'm not. He's like, no, I was playing um this game. Let him and know. Let him because know. Because when we box <laughs> came up in an advertisement and I'm like, oh, okay, that's just marketing Amari, you know, but either way, you know, it's, I, don't do it, I don't do it by myself. And I think that's how I do it. I don't do it by myself. I lean on my village and I work really hard not to have like mom guilt. If I'm late to a meeting or I miss something, you know, I try to make the moments that matter, matter the most. And, you know, b- the pandemic being at home for a full like 18 months has been 
you know, it's been great because like my kids are like always around me now, right? Like I'm on meetings and I'm on conference calls and my daughter Sage might peek her head in and say hello and I give her the space to do that. And Mm -hmm. so you figure out what balance is for you, but I don't subscribe to like um, a depiction of balance that doesn't take into consideration everything that I'm juggling. And I would just recommend that everyone else like adopt that same, you know, practice. It's like you have to determine it for yourself and you're constantly optimizing it and changing it. And I might look back and be like, damn, I should have did that a little bit differently three months ago or a year ago, but you still have the opportunity to optimize and make it better. And I love how, you know, you have the whole family involved. Like, I love how Chris is like always holding you down. I came to visit the web, the, the warehouse. Your dad was there. Sage was helping to put together some, some boxes. So any advice on any advice for entrepreneurs who are trying to get their families involved in, in their work? Yeah. Well, so my family, well, my husband is involved because like that's just a partnership, right? Like, and it's based on his, his skill set. So Chris, um, alongside with uh, our, our other art director, they do all the designs for the box and the graphic designs, you know, for a number of different things. But that's his background. Like he's a graphic designer. When it came to the game and the, t- you know, the toys that we're working on, I met him when he worked at a toy store. He loves toys. So like it backs into his experience. I'm not asking him to do my accounting. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So yeah, it's like, throwing you know, his spouse it, up in there. Right. And he's, and that's what he's, you know, he, he, and if there's anybody, my dad, my my dad wanted to, you know, help out. And so he's paid to work in the warehouse, but he's doing it because of me. Right. But I don't like my majority of my staff is not my family. Right. Like I really try to limit that. I would actually recommend limiting family. Mm-hmm. I don't recommend having a lot of family on your books or working for you. That's not something I aspire to do. I love each and every one of my family members. But when you're talking about is like really how we incorporate our children into the business. And so when we're in the warehouse, you know, there are days where if I have to go in there, I'll take the kids with me. And yes, while you're here, you're going to work, grab a broom, you know, go put some boxes together, put put those uh, stickers or labels on those bags, help the people out that are in here, because this is this is for you too. And this is this is a great environment for you to learn what it's like to run a business. And so in that respect, I think that you should involve your family if you have kids. Um, if you have a spouse, I think that they should be involved in the operation so that they can understand it so that you're not on an island when you come in the home or you come in the house and you're tired or you're frustrated or you're annoyed because you had a rough day because, you know, something didn't work right. At least they have a baseline to understand because they've been in that space with you. I think that's crucially important. But I do think that when it comes to like other family members having roles, having salaries, you know, running the business with you, you got to do what's best for you. Mm -hmm. But for me, the type of business that I run, it's not a best practice to have be top heavy with family. Now, if my, there are family members that have certain skill sets that are just dope, dope, whether they're my family or not, who are definitely like are, are doing certain things in the business, but that's not something that I like sought out. It just happened organically. Right. A lot of people may look at you, look at the success of your businesses and be like, damn, she's constantly winning. Have there been moments, I'm sure there have, where, you know, you may have had a, you may have had an idea or a project that you thought would, you know, quote unquote, be big, but it didn't, it didn't stick, it didn't land. And if so, what advice can you give a budding entrepreneur that's not in that, in this successful phase? They're like in that moment where it's like shit ain't working out. Yeah, I think people see me now and they say I'm constantly winning. 
because maybe I didn't post when I was constantly losing, right? Like, I mean, <laughs> exactly. you know, like, shoot, we all lose. We're like, not showing uh, that part. I, took some, I took some L's. 2019 was tough. 2016 was tough. Like, I was questioning my existence in 2016. And so I think that what I did, though, what I recommend everyone do is like, yo, be happy for the people that are winning right? Pay attention to the people that are winning, but also understand that they weren't always winning, right? Winning is a matter of just showing up when you don't feel like it. Winning is showing up right after you took a L, right? Like winning is just like the fact that you just kept going. I remember seeing like the people that I admire, like crushing it and being like, damn, that's so dope. I'm so happy for them. But I knew in my spirit that I was happy for them. There are people who aren't winning because they can't be happy for the for other people, period. Mm-hmm. Like there are people who have no joy and are still on this path who are like mad contentious and just upset at the fact that there are other people out here who, who are getting it done. But you have to train yourself and practice gratitude for where you are, but also you have to learn to root and to cheer for everyone else. You know, there's a famous scripture or a popular scripture in the Bible. I think it's like Psalms 23, don't quote me, but it talks about like, you know, how God prepares the table for you in the presence of your enemies and how mm-hmm. your cup runs over. It's like, yo, if my friends are winning, right? And they're just like uber successful, eventually that cup's going to run over, yep. right? Eventually exactly. it's going to reach me. As long as I stay consistent and I'm doing what it is, I feel like I need to be doing to get to where I want to be. And that's was cons- that's that's the consistent thread. If you if you you know Jay Z is like the genius thing that we did is we didn't give up. The people who make it are the people who keep going. But I would just say that the journey could be a little bit better if you learn to celebrate with others when they are celebrating, and if you learn to understand that everyone doesn't always post their L's. I'm very Nobody transparent is about mine. Their L's. You know, I I talk about mine, but I don't like I'll I'll maybe do some storytelling. But when you're going through and you are taking an L. Let me tell you what you're not doing. You're not posting on Instagram like, yo, bruh, let me tell you about this L I took today. Let me tell you about this this money I lost this morning. Yep. No, you're going through it and you're literally trying to figure out if you're yep. going to get through it, right? And then once you get through it, then you can look back like, let me tell you how God had his hand on me. No, you were not. <laughs> you were not saying that in the moment. In the moment, you were like, dog, is this real? Like, am yep. I supposed to be here? Like, maybe I need to pivot. Like, maybe maybe I shouldn't have take, taken this on. Like, you're just constantly Word. fighting the questions in your head. And so if you see me winning, it's because I learned to get up after I lost mm. at the end of the day. Like, that is my story, but it's not unique to me. It is everyone's story yep. who doesn't come from a point of privilege, who is out here in these streets and they look like you and they look like me and they are getting it done. They figured out how to get up after they lost. If you could tell your 20-year-old self three things, what would they be? Uh, If I could tell, what was I doing at 20? (laughs) If I could tell my 20-year-old self three things, what would it be? It would probably be, dang, Drina, three things I would tell my (laughs) 20-year-old self. I would probably say, give yourself more grace. Mm -hmm. It's not a race. And you'll be fine. It all works out in the end. Love it. And that's what I tell myself now, right? It's the same thing I tell myself now. Give yourself grace. It's not a race. It all works out in the end. Unique. 
Thank you. Thank you for joining me today. I took, I was writing some things down. You was dropping gems. Your dream (laughs) is your responsibility, people. Yeah, for sure. Unique, I'm excited to see like this next chapter for you and what's going to come out of it. I, I already know you're about to be, you just got your, your foot on folks next, even though you're not going to say it, <laughs> uh, you do. So um, thank you for joining me and can't wait to see what's next. Thanks so much, Drina. Appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs>